your birthright. Ease and grace and inner space are your birthright. They're not something that you necessarily have to work hard to get. They're yours and what you're largely doing most of the time is interfering with your ability to sense them and feel them. And so if you just um, relax into that notion like, oh, yoga is not actually um, achieving mastery, but just remembering remembering information that's already within. That's Jeffrey Roniger, and this is the Rain Studios podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Rain Studios podcast. I'm Rain Reed, your host, and this is my podcast. We've got Jeffrey Roniger on the show today, people. Super excited. Um, Jeffrey is an incredible yoga teacher, owns a studio in New Orleans called Ferret Street Yoga. And um, so on the show today, we get his whole journey. We get his very first class um, and uh, how he felt afterwards, um, all the way to his teacher trainings and all the way through to his ownership of the studio, little midlife crisis, and then back again. (laughs) And uh, so this conversation is amazing. Um, I listened to it a couple of times after the recording, and I learned so much, Jeffrey, um, just through this conversation, you know, reminded me of my own love and passion for teaching um, and for the practice of yoga. And I've been, I've been um, sort of swept away by birth work since the beautiful, amazing, life-changing home birth of our son, Wolfie out here two and a half years ago. Um, but man, uh, I got back to I got to go to New Orleans for just a couple days to to have this interview, and I took some of Jeffrey's classes, and man, just felt rerooted. And then, like I said, listening to the conversation again, just even more. So thank you, Jeffrey. Um, another big thank you is coming on to Jeffrey as he and his online company, My Yoga To Go, have come on as sponsors of Rain Studios podcast, which is super exciting. So that means that you guys, the listeners, will get 20% discount on um, the offerings of My Yoga To Go with the promo code Rain Tribe. So links to all this in the show notes, but he's got um, three uh, series is that he's offering uh, just really amazing online um, offerings. I do them myself, and I have since we moved, um, or actually even since before that, since I was frequenting Hawaii back in 2016, I started um, using my yoga to go as my uh, supplement to my home practice, or if I couldn't make it to studio. And it's awesome. It's like Jeffrey's in the room with you. It's really fun. <laughs> so I highly recommend it. And again, you guys get a discount with Rain Tribe promo code 20%. So check it out. Jeffrey's also got some online offerings um, or like Zoom classes right now that you can check out um, through their Instagram. And he's at Ferret Street Yoga um, on Instagram. So he's got... Um, I think 9.30 central classes, um, pretty sure it's five days a week, don't quote me on that, but um, but yeah, check it out on his Instagram and um, and on the website for at Street Yoga. Again, all this links in the show notes at rainstudios.com. So if you go to his podcast, 
um, and just scroll down. There'll be links to all this stuff. Um, Jeffrey also has, uh, really through this conversation and, and, you know, due to Corona, um, virus and all of our sequestering, um, I'm feeling inspired and I am going to, um, do the same. I'm going to do some zoom classes and I'm going to put out some offerings. So I actually, I have a couple of free classes on the rain studios website. If you click the yoga tab and you'll be able to check those out. Um, going to do some like hatha or flowier type of classes, um, postural yoga, if you will. And then um, also there's a couple of nidra offerings already, which is, you know, my my evolution of my yoga practice is really um, put the spotlight on yoga nidra, which is um, an incredible meditation practice that, um, that man, it just changed my life. So that, that's what I'm going to be offering you guys um, pretty soon and a handful of other um, pretty fun workshops. So um, but back to Jeffrey. Jeffrey's got some workshops as well that he's going to be offering. He just told me about that on a telephone conversation just a couple days ago. So the bottom line is that if if you like, if you ever took my yoga class and you like it, um, you'll probably like Jeffrey's because um, I feel like our teaching styles are similar and um, he's just a down-to-earth kind of human, and it's it's amazing. So um, I could keep blabbering on and on, but um, here's the conversation with me and Jeffrey Roniger. Enjoy. We're so learning. Not technically savvy. Not technically not savvy. Art. But hey, here we are, dude. You're here doing a podcast are. and we're recording, so Yes, we have two working. recording devices. Oh, they're both going. That's right. That cool. was Damien's idea. A backup. Smart. Yeah. Uh-huh. For when one just decides to quit, which has already happened. Smart. Uh-huh. Thank on, God. On your other recording, you mean? Yeah, like while I was doing a show with, um, I think, Kristen and like, and just one of the phones like decided to stop recording. And so we had like the whole. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah so we had good. the whole backup. Yeah. Um, but thing. yeah, so here we are. Jeffrey Roniger. What an honor. Oh, uh, for me as well. <laughs> for me as well. We've been walking the road together for a while. For a really long time. For yeah. how long? I mean, I think you came to my class in 2011. Yeah, and you just made nine? Like the studio yeah. just made nine. Yep, so, so yeah. it'll be ten this this fall. Yeah. And then Decade. you opened your studio in 12, 2012, or was it mm-hmm. 11? It was like, like the last, it was like December 16th or something, 2011. Yeah. So it was really 2012. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's so honored to be here, and I just told Jeffrey that I did the, the, the bio, so they've heard, mm-hmm. you know, they've heard lots and nuts and bolts. But what's cool is that we get to now um, dive in, yeah. to those, um, to the bits in the bio. So yes. I think a beautiful place to start um, with Jeffrey is the initial days of your yoga practice. Yeah, um, I went. I was essentially dragged to a class <laughs> by my mom and my sister and my girlfriend at the time who then later became a wife <laughs> they were all gonna it was the summer after i want to say my yeah freshman year of college it was 1995 um and they were all interested in going to this class in mid-city it was taught by melanie fower who's a 
amazing Ashtanga yoga teacher. And they're like, Jeffrey, do you want to come? I was like, I don't know. Yoga sounds a little weird. I don't know what I would do. And like, just, just check it out. Try it once. And I went with him. And I was within five minutes. Blown away. And how old were you? I was 19. 19. And what really got me was the physicality of it. I had expected yoga to be this, you know, all the stereotypes of being soft or um, too stretchy or new agey or whatever. I went in and she taught me, this is my sort of style, mind you. So she was teaching each individual student in the class how to um, how to do the primary series. And so she introduced me to Surya Namaskar A and B. And, you know... <laughs> do tons, 10 sun citations and you're just dripping sweat in New Orleans in June. I was like, whoa, this is hard. This is really challenging. So I was captivated by the physical mm-hmm. challenge of it. And then when I walked out of the class, um, I remember noting on the sidewalk as my mom and you know, my girlfriend and my sister had asked me, you know, what do you think? I was like, well, for one, my back feels really good. Like it didn't even occur to me that I had had back tension or something, but I was like, this, my back feels supple and light. Two, I was like, oh, this is what it's like to not feel anxious. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> It was wow. the first, I realized for 19 years prior to that, I had, there was a low-grade level of anxiety always um, kind of present in my being. So it was this, what a gift to have gotten an experience from the very outset of like, this is your natural state, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. That the anxiety is might be your normal state. Mm-hmm. It's really important to differentiate between normal and natural. Your wow. normal is like your habitual, um, conditioned tendency. We might say, your natural state is you in a, your essential, authentic, um, organic mm-hmm. um, self. And so I'd been introduced, or rather reintroduced to that, because as you and I have talked about, I think we we're all born with that. You do come out with that, mm-hmm. but you we lose it somewhere along the way, and so, um, man, I just fell in love with it. I went five days a week to Mysore style Ashtanga that entire summer. Um, kept doing yoga when I went back to Vanderbilt for college. I would um, uh, was a student, so I couldn't afford classes, so I would just you know save up, maybe I'd do one or two public classes. Um, a month, but I was... How much were classes at that time? They were like $8, maybe? Yeah. Maybe there was like a student rate or something, and a, I would go down to this place in Cumberland Station and take classes, and I talked to the owner there. I was like, hey, you know, is there any way I can do this practice on my own? I did have the Ashtanga primary series like pretty well grooved mm-hmm. inside me. Like I could... That's one of the advantages of doing something over and over is... It takes the, the it gives you great direction in your practice. You just know what to do, right? But I had enjoyed this woman's classes and asked her if I could, um, you know, if she had any recommendations as to how I could, you know, keep practicing her style. And she's like, well, try this VHS. It's this wonderful teacher named Rodney Yee. Uh, it, was, it was Rodney Yee, <laughs> Yoga for Energy. On um, I don't know if some of your listeners know this, but back in the day, there was this thing called VHS. <laughs> this cassette clunky tapes and I bought that tape and I played it all the time in my dorm room and my my roommates would be like Ronnie what the hell are you doing they'd come in and see me in weird positions like I don't know you guys but you know it feels just feels really good uh-huh. you know I guess and you were talk. studying music I was a European studies major okay so it was um interdisciplinary I studied mostly philosophy history 
languages such as French, Spanish, German, um, and then music. I was more into musicology, so not um, I don't actually play any instruments, but mm -hmm. just the, the history of music. Um, I was three hours shy of being a music minor. Um, but yeah, it was the whatever. It was the the I loved. I mean, I guess it was kind of a you know classic liberal arts or mm -hmm. or um, multi um, faceted educational experience. And um, yeah, the yoga was just something I always uh, enjoyed and felt like I wanted to to keep doing. And so I graduated with this degree from Vanderbilt. I graduated with my European studies, you know, Bachelor of Arts and. I knew I wanted to live in Europe. Um, I had done a semester abroad in the south of France, and uh, one of my best friends uh, and I both applied for this work visa that we got. We, have, we got a year-long work visa in the UK, a six-month work visa for Ireland, and so we lived in uh, Galway, Ireland for six months. Again, just doing. I didn't have uh, VHS there, but I was doing my primary series. Um, then when we moved to Edinburgh, Scotland, for a year. Um, we you know, were both a little stressed out because we had very little money, didn't have a job yet, so we're looking for just any old jobs. My friend's trying to you know, work at this art house movie theater. I saw um, a sign for like a, to be a sales associate at a shoe store and went and applied for that. And I was stressed. I didn't get the job at the Aww. shoe store, but, um, but it was a good thing because when I got rejected from that, I went to, I was like, I need to take a yoga class and I'm going to allocate what little money I have toward this class, right? I go in, it was a shtanga, which is super familiar to me. Um, I talked to the owner and, and I was like, wow, I really love your space. And he's like, wow, well, we're actually moving. I'm renovating uh, this 19th century church into a purpose-built, it's gonna be the largest purpose-built ashtanga studio in all of Europe. And if you're looking for a job, because I mentioned that to him, he's like, why don't you just help with some of the labor? Um, we could use you like tomorrow, just helping to all things around so that one day job turned into about eight months worth of work where I ended up being the carpenter's assistant um, just I mean a lot of unglorious demo work and hauling wood and um, the guy was a real inspiration he had worked for Greenpeace as a sailor and um, he he saw all this this pitch pine wood that was about to be thrown away by a department store. And he's like, wait, we need to salvage that. This wood's got so much potential, right? Mm -hmm. So he'd got bundles of this beautiful wood. I, of course, had to um, haul each one and stack it up by the outside of the church. And when um, the carpenters had, had created the foundation to lay the floor, um, they discovered that the tongue and groove flooring had all this rubber cement on it and they, the boards couldn't join together. Mm -hmm. So for probably six weeks, my job was to take an angle grinder with this little metal brush oh, and I had to go <laughs> like one inch every five seconds along the full length of every board, every single floorboard in that huge space passed through my hands. Um, wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> Um, it was, amazing. yeah, and they felt so bad for me because it was such a tedious job that um, <laughs> they gave me a lifelong membership to the studio, like unlimited lifelong pass. Is um, it still there? No. Dang. I know. <laughs> I haven't gotten to, to, to fulfill that. Turned in, I think they sold it and it turned into a, um, some sort of uh, like environmental architecture firm. But, wow. um, but that was really sweet. So it got me even more into my... 
um, Ashtanga practice. Um, when the project was completed, I, I did feel a little bit aimless again, like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting on a park bench in, in the middle of this field in, in Edinburgh, and I was like, okay, Jeffrey, you're not getting up from this park bench until you can honestly answer one question for yourself. One question. And that is, what would you do with your life if money wasn't a factor? Bodhisattva moment. What would you do? Yeah, yeah that was my Bodhisattva moment. And the only thing that I could authentically answer was, I would continue to study yoga. Not teach, not own a yoga business. Like, I just want to study this great tradition and this practice and learn more about it. And How long did you sit there? I, for at least an hour. I mean, it seemed like kind of an eternity, really. Right. Um, but I mean, it, just an hour, because in the big scheme of things, like an hour is not really that long. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. there was a, probably a lot happened, but like, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if you can carve yourself out an hour yeah, to really ask yourself a question. Yes. I mean... And sit with the uncertainty. Yeah. And really wait for an answer that's not a contrived or concocted answer, but just something that wells up from the depths of you. Mm-hmm. It's doable. And obviously an hour is sort of arbitrary too. It's just just the willingness to sit until you receive some yeah. guidance that's coming ultimately from within you, but also somehow beyond you. Do you remember in that moment, like, what tools did you use? Like, did you... You know, Jeffrey and I are sitting at his studio here in Fred Street, mm-hmm. and we're sitting on blankets, and we've got bolsters, and so our seating positions are pretty comfortable. But, you know, did you were you like, all right, I'm just going to sit here? And were you conscious of your posture? Were you conscious of your breath, or were you just more, was it, like less yogic, <laughs> less like postural yoga, well, yeah. more ethereal? I think I didn't even know was much about alignment back then, yeah. so I probably wasn't honestly checking in with those things. I. The only thing I knew about breath was ujjayi because that's what they had inculcated right. in the Ashtanga. I didn't know about other breath subtleties. So no, it wasn't that specific. It was more just the commitment to sit. Yeah. Here's where I am. I'm not getting up, which, and you know, asana literally means to sit. That's means amazing. Seat. What a huge, what a big moment. I mean, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Very cool. It was a big one because it then informed, okay, well, we got clarity on that. This is what everything else we need to do is, is a, um, a means to support this study, right? And yeah. so I get back to the United States after our work visa ran out and I ran out of money. Um, I worked in New Orleans doing odd jobs and painting and stuff and earned, I think I earned $500. Um, and with that money, I drove out to San Francisco. Why San Francisco? Because I felt somehow, I obviously I knew Rodney Yee was from the Bay Area, and mm-hmm. I felt attracted to his teaching style and wanted to go there. But um, it felt to me somehow like the hub of yoga in mm-hmm. the United States, um, more so than New York or L.A., and that's mm-hmm. totally arbitrary. But for me, I was attracted to the land of Northern California, mm-hmm. Um I had, I should back up, I did work um, as an instructor for a wilderness adventure company for several years, both at the end of college and then even for several years after college. Um, And I had done this one trip um, on the lost coast of Northern California and around Mount Shasta, all these areas Mm. I've told you about that are so gorgeous. And I was like, 
this land is really inspiring and powerful. And so I just pointed my compass there. Awesome. Um, very little money, right? Just slept on my friend's couches for my first couple months. Ended up getting a, an, another construction job. Um, was just hell-bent on getting over to Rodney Yee's studio over in Piedmont. Um, and I took that guy's class, and it was a just top of the skull blown up into the heavens moment where I was like, what are we doing here? Because wow. it was so poetic, so beautiful, so rich. The, his language was so specific, but, um, but um, not dry and technical. We were, do, you know, in Ashtanga, you're holding a pose for five seconds, you move on, right? Mm -hmm. and here, we're holding pose for five minutes. Yeah. And going into deeper and deeper realms where he introduced me using props, which got me right. deeper into... That was the first time he used props. Yeah. Wow. Mind blown. I was like, this is a whole new way, a new approach. And, and subsequently, I started taking Richard Rosen's um, class as well. And he's, he became a, um, a coveted mentor of mine for years, too. And decided to... the same studio? Yep, same studio. They would yeah. teach back-to-back. -back. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I would, you know, ride my bike. Um, I sound like an old person who's like, when I was a kid, I went, <laughs> trudged through the snow. And up, two hours. Up, but it did, honestly. <laughs> Yoga was that important to me that it took yeah. me an hour and a half to get to the class. I had to ride my bike from San Francisco to the BART station, take the BART, ride, blah, 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 to, to Piedmont. Um, and it, again, I'm not saying that as like, these young people, they don't have the drive or commitment I did. Nothing like that, just to say, that's how much it meant to me. Yeah. That's how much it meant to me. And because they taught back-to-back, -back, I would go to both of their classes, usually, in succession. And, um, and how many later. times a week were you doing that? A couple times a week. Probably like two. two or three? Yeah, two classes a week. And um, I knew I wanted to enroll in their teacher training program, not because I want to be a teacher, but because of my initial commitment from that park bench. I want to study yoga I just want to do it as an advancement of my studies and so you know we're six months into that program and one of my friends who I uh, a woman who I've become friends with during our program um, who's named Jane Dobson um, now named Jane House oh our Jane our Jane right you married Griffin House the uh, talented musician singer songwriter Jane asked me tells me six months into our teacher training program like look man I'm opening my own studio in San Francisco and I need you to teach. I'm like, what? I'm not ready to teach. I don't, I have nothing to say really. I just, I'm just learning. She's like, come on, Jeffrey. It's 7 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. <laughs> the only, that's the only slot I need filled. Will you come? You know? I was like, fine. I'll do it as a way of like just practicing something while I was learning about mm -hmm. teaching methodology and whatever. Um, first class I ever taught. Um, my cousin Megan Roniger, who is an art student in San Francisco, came with her friend. Second class I ever taught, nobody came. So I went from two to nobody, to then two people to nobody, to then three people to nobody. And it didn't really matter to me. I didn't have that ego thing associated with it because it was, like my worth was not linked to how popular my class was. Because yeah. to me it was just sharing this thing that I was interested in mm -hmm. and wanting to um help others be interested inspired in too but um 
But yeah, as I kept doing it, and you know, two people came, and then four people came, and six people came, and two people came, and so, you know, it was always sort of intimate, slow numbers, um, but I started to realize how much I enjoyed the practice of trying to articulate things that I was sensing for myself. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't even say that I thought I had a talent for, you know, verbal instruction. It's just something that I, I like the challenge of. Like, mm -hmm. how can I, through words, lead someone to a state, an embodied state that's beyond words, really. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just yeah, enjoyed the, the challenge that presented. Um, and had you, you had never taught like a, another sort of class. Mm -mm. This was the first type of class. You totally. Wow. I did teach other physical skills when I was an instructor for the Outward wilderness. Bound. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, for Adventure Checks, <clears throat> the name of the company. But even then... Um, I wasn't nearly as technically sophisticated as mm -hmm. the other instructors. I mean, these guys were Knowles graduates or Hourbound graduates. They, they were much um, more adept at rock climbing artists and stuff. But they, I was hired because I had, quote, soft skills, unquote. <laughs> I was good <laughs> at no, read, creating group dynamics or... Um, yeah. or um, um, reading how people were doing non-verbally and so the owner of the company is like hey Jeffrey can learn the, the hard skills but he can add to this he can add something to yeah, our, our soft group. skills soft skill. with yeah. air quotes by the way like I mean that's that's like I'm writing that down we'll have a whole podcast about soft, soft skills. skills so funny and so that I, you know you could say I taught people <clears throat> techniques on backpacking whatever yeah. I, I feel a big um question comes up with like in teacher training mm -hmm. you know like like so many 200 hour programs especially like a lot of people leave and they're like i just still don't feel like i can stand up in front of a room and talk yes and i find that it's usually people who have stood up in front of another group of people and publicly spoken yes that have a knack for yes. you know for that part seems to come easier and so yeah I mean you might have been like in the woods like screaming at right. 20 kids but you were still the leader quote air quotes totally. and they were totally listening you know they were following your lead so you know that interaction totally right yeah, totally and as you're talking what's making me think of it too is that every step of your life path mm-hmm turns out to be useful for every successive step, right? Exactly. So what I, when you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, well, I did have those public speaking skills because I was the student body president in high school, right? right. I was yeah. really into theater and, and acting when I was in high school as well. So I, I, I wasn't all that shy about speaking in front of people. Mm -hmm. um, and that did come into... To, uh, serve me when I had to to talk in front of a, a yoga class. The other funny thing is, you know, once, like to support myself doing my teacher training, um, I got out of construction. Construction turned out to be too tough for me to also be really involved with yoga because it was mm -hmm. so physically grueling that yeah. I just didn't have the energy to, to do much of the asana work. So I got a job um, waiting tables um, at this really... Um, really popular restaurant in Cow Hollow in San Francisco. And I think what I, where I took those skills and brought them into yoga was that 
if you're waiting tables, you have to be very attentive to multiple needs. <laughs> you have to see and almost anticipate that someone needs their water filled or mm-hmm. know that you, eyes in the back of your head, you can tell table 33 is looking at you saying like, when's he going to take your order yep. and go appease them or I'll be right, blah, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, it helps you, waiting tables helps you um, multitask and link steps now that might sound anti-yoga because multitasking is like kind of the so like a division of your attention and mm-hmm. yoga is about gathering and harnessing your mm-hmm. attention and really channeling it. But what I mean by that is it um, it helped me recognize multiple needs that that the customers are having and and um, figure out ways to streamline my ability to address them. And that skill I use every single day when I teach a public class. When you teach, absolutely. And it's, and it's apparent. Like that's, that's actually, it's a perfect analogy mm-hmm. because you can tell when you walk through the room and teaching yoga and practicing yoga are so different. Yes. And so like this skill, yeah, is probably not one that you need when you're, you know, when you have your earplugs ear in and you're doing your self-practice. But yeah, when you're navigating the room and you are speaking, you know, you were like speaking to Kelly Hunter and speaking to Kelly second name or whatever right. yesterday. And yeah, I mean, and you do it with, um, it's a grace. It's like a graceful ease where you're, and everybody in the room feels seen and heard by you. And I think that that's, um, that's a huge, like, it's kind of what's apparent, like, you know, in all of this social media and everything. Yes. Everybody wants to be seen yes. and everybody wants to be heard. Yes. And in a room where no one is speaking in yoga. Yes. And, and you are managing to see and hear all the needs of yes. the people. and. That's why you're an incredible teacher. Oh, thank you. But, <laughs> yeah. well, it's, that's, um, that's, that is the art of it, to mm-hmm. keep expanding and, and seeing multiple um, challenges or struggles or whatever, um, you know, happenings that are going on in people's bodies while at the same time, so kind of having that broad vision, which is more like a, um, a wide lens, kind of panoramic, but then being able to zoom in and look at the specificity of how someone's foot is contacting the ground in a standing pose, and yeah. zooming in and giving that one specific person a cue that could um, help them find more stability or ease. Right. Um, and then as you and I have joked about multiple times, I, I've told you this, and you've, you've noted this in your own teaching, when you, as the yoga teacher, tell one person to do something, everybody else in the room actually does that. They uh, they engage and they follow it because they feel, wait, he's seeing me or she's seeing me. That I, I'm, um, I'm not just hearing arbitrary instructions, but someone's actually looking after me. You know, mm-hmm. you tell everybody in the room to do something. Nobody, nobody does, does it. it. You tell one person <laughs> in the room to do something, everybody does it. Yeah. It's... Sometimes, except that one person. You know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's the zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out. And it's that, that theme is, you know, refracted through the whole yoga practice, too, of looking at your own particular life situation, your small concerns and things that you need to do to get through the day, but then contextualizing yourself and looking out Look at yourself from from a more ancient or broader perspective, and 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 then lightening up when you get that broad oh, perspective because yes. you realize it's <laughs> yeah, 
that so many trivial things are, are irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. And this is why you and I love nature so much. Yeah. We totally. need it. You need to go see those stars. We need to get on top of a mountain. We need to breathe fresh air or swim in water. Which is so good. Jeffrey is so organically <clears throat> into instinct and intuition. Mm-hmm. And how those, these are the words that I keep playing with, you know, sort of to be the headers for the podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like a cu- very common thread. Yes. So, um, yeah, can you speak to how the yoga practice itself influences and affects your ability to like bolster your instinct maybe? Yes. And like, and it, yeah, billow up that intuition that we all seem to have kind of dulled yes lost absolutely i have several thoughts on that for one back to what you were saying with social media if you're so invested in outward appearances and what how many likes i'm gonna get or what people think of me or the outward presentation then you are beholden to um some outside sources feedback so that's one of the ways you can get drawn out of intuition and instinct is to be constantly concerned with um, the exterior, mm. the, the facade, right? Yes. And the more, yeah, that, that can lead to a lot of anxiety and, um, and just inner impoverishment. Um, so just to get back in touch with how you feel on the inside mm-hmm. rather than how you you or your pose or whatever, how you look on the outside, is a vital first step. And I'm saying that in class every time, right? That this mm-hmm. is an internal art form. It's not what it looks like, but how, what ultimate, how things are lining up on the inside, what it feels like. And um, so I'm constantly reminding people to, um, to reorient in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's just astounding to me that when you give people permission to follow their own impulses, their own sort of movement, kind of organic movement needs, um, they respond so beautifully and they, they, um, they discover for themselves a basic ease that they had been uh, previously obstructed from because they'd been so concerned about getting it right or right. I'm trying to look like what the teacher looks like or I'm mm. trying to I'm comparing myself to the person on the mat next to me or to what the Instagram post of the gal on the beach doing handstand <laughs> looked like. All those external markers are so far away from my internal um, the reality of my internal experience that when give, when you remind someone to, to be more aligned with their the inner realm, that for one, it's such a relief. They feel like, ah, oh, thank you for just giving me that sovereignty back, you know. Um, for two, the, in the body's own innate intelligence um, starts to, to operate. And, um, and so instinct kind of it's just like you're getting someone back in touch with their their real um, instincts, and um, I think that's really empowering so, for people. Yeah. And out of that comes intuition, meaning I um, 
I intuit, I sense what I need in order to be healthy and well-balanced. I'm no longer outsourcing my health, like we talked about yesterday, my health toward the quote-unquote experts. There you go again, air quotes. Quote-unquote expert. The expert who's read something in a medical journal or done some study. Um, Great. Cool. I'm not disregarding science, but oftentimes that... uh, if we only have those sources of information, we are, um, we're no longer, not, no longer following our own internal guidance mechanisms. We're, um, we can get led down some really false paths. I yeah, think. and when you're speaking too, I feel like, you know, so I wrote down the word permission because that's another one that just keeps coming up with mm-hmm. the guests. Is that like there's a giving permission, and then those who are receiving it have this like exhale feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this relax into whatever it is you're doing. Yes. And in your case, you know, it's it's the practice. It's postural yoga. Yes. And so what happens is is like with that release, there's there's a sense of self empowerment yes like all of a sudden right they're not gonna ask they're gonna go seek to someone else like why is why am i why am i why is my stomach hurting right now like they might just take a park bench moment yes and they might sit and like think like why does why does my stomach hurt self yes could it have been like what i ate yesterday could it be this thing that's causing me anxiety in my life Mm -hmm. could it be that i haven't taken a deep breath and quite possibly 48 years, yes. but maybe just the last 10 minutes, you know, yes. I've been breathing shallowly. And so it's so cool. You know, I think this is like one of the reasons why teaching yoga will just never get old yeah. for either of us yeah. is because it's planting those seeds, mm-hmm. giving that permission and, you know, coming back to you and your table waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because you care. Like, you care about each person in the room. Yes. You care them enough to know their names. Yes. Oftentimes, first and last, it's incredible. Yes. And, but, and I'm sure that, like, it's also why you're a good server. Because mm-hmm. you actually care. Yeah. Like, and then, and then, why do you care? Well, because cause you're present. Because if you're present at whatever you're doing, waiting tables, you know, um, Bricklaying, or yeah. stu- you know, using the sawzall or whatever right, it is. Right. If you're present, then you can you can really appreciate what you're doing, right. and you can appreciate those people around you that are doing it with you. Right. But if you're if you're the server at, and you're doing your tables, but you're really thinking about like what, what are you gonna I, do later after your shift? Or yes, <laughs> when you're taking yourself into the future or you're taking yourself into the past, you know you're mad about what you know, your boyfriend said to you the night before or whatever, yeah. then then you're like kind of a dick to your table 33. Yeah. And then table three gives you a bad tip. Yeah. And then it rolls. And then you're like, fuck table 33. Right. You know? And so in that, right. I mean, again, that echoes throughout the whole, the, yeah. like the practice of life, yeah. you know? And so it's this like permission and acceptance and, mm-hmm. and but really being present. And so it's like the yoga of teaching yoga it's so funny unpause unpause sorry podcast but no, uh that was good. an organic um stopping but i don't want to lose the thread because you said some good words like permission presence is a big one presence right? and then just caring like you actually 
you actually care about another human being. So that has to do with connection, I feel like, right? And now what we're, this is the joke, the sort of sad, ironic <laughs> joke of social media is that people are doing because they want to connect, yeah. but they're connecting with avatar images of themselves. And so it's not, there's no actual connection happening. Right. There's no tangible connection happening. It's, it's symbolic. Um, you're connecting with this one specific image that I have of myself that I want to show that doesn't have the blemishes or the, the hardships or whatever. And, and so what we're really craving is, is genuine connection, hand to hand, skin yeah. to skin, sitting as you and I are right now in front of each other. Um, that's what's so nourishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fulfilling and generating of further connection and mm-hmm. care, right? So, again, I'm not knocking social media, like saying it's exclusively bad, but it's just a tool, right? Yeah. It's, it's a, a tool. It's a tool and, and it's something to connect us but not to rely on. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I will say, <laughs> it's like something that I've wanted to admit for a long time, but it's... Um, like, I remember coming to this studio, and then I remember opening my own, and just the, there was always this sort of, like, interesting, not dichotomy, but maybe, like, relationship to where um, the space of Rain Studios, which is now free to be, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful, incredible space, mm-hmm. and I encourage everyone to go, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that so much of where I was coming from, because I was coming from, like, art school, uh, design background, and, like, um, so much of the focus of Rain Studios, the brick-and-mortar yoga business, mm-hmm. was visual, mm-hmm. was, like, these strong images of strong bodies and mm-hmm. strong, you know, and, like, and I was... And, and, and I still, you know, I think the human body is beautiful. I think all human bodies are beautiful. Do I? Um, and um, but it, but I, it's interesting because so much of the frustration of running the business for me was because I was focused on all this, like how does it look? Yeah. How does it look? How does it seem to people? Um, you know. And what's so interesting is like coming full circle back to your back all that we're um coming where we yearn to return yes where we've been here to return um it's like it was all there without having to do any of that you know like my teaching style it definitely is it gets better every time I teach I feel like because it's more experienced but it doesn't matter where you are and it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's yeah. what's coming out of the teacher. You know, it's what's coming out of, and it's what's coming out of the energy of the students. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. And so, yeah, it's like giving myself permission to like let that go, Ooh. you know, but, but right. I do, I just like put my hands together for all studio owners mm-hmm. because it is a difficult dance. It yeah. is a difficult balance as you have proudly stated on Fret Street Yoga, yeah. come back to balance. Yeah. You know, it's a struggle and a challenge to to dance between making your platform um, accessible and attractive to people enough to want to do it, yeah. but not getting lost in that. Because I do think that, you know, 
I got lost. Totally. I got really lost in it. And, um, and so I'm like, I'm trying to like lick my wounds of, mm-hmm. of what social media means to me. And mm-hmm. you know what, because I do like, I want the connection, you know, I want you, I want people to listen to this podcast yeah. because I think that like, it's going to be awesome. I mean, it's already awesome. Yeah. Um, but hearing stories, sharing stories, I think is, um, is it's like an age old human thing is storytelling. And knowing about someone's past and learning from their mistakes and their achievements and all these things. And so I think that the podcast platform is even like, it's interesting because people won't be sitting with us, but they will have us in their ears, you know, like where they're chopping vegetables for dinner or, you know, walking their dog or whatnot. So it's, man, it's just complex. (laughs) Totally. And you said several things I wanted to respond to, if I may. Yeah. Just the first one, the, the, with respect to um, studio ownership or the social media, um, the, the balance you're talking to about social media is, is the Taoist quote where um, it says, uh, when the wrong man uses the right tools, the right tools work in the wrong way. Ah, oh, wow. When the wrong man uses the right tools, the right tools work in the wrong way. So if social media is used it's a good tool but if it's used for ego aggrandizement meaning look at me it's all about me and how great i am the the right tool is a helpful tool is going to work in a way that's ultimately going to create more anxiety for the person because they just have to get more likes or mm-hmm. more more whatever mm-hmm. uh, feedback in that regard in order to feel validated as a human being exactly. that's sad it is sad. It's sad. It's sad. And I was so a victim. Like, right? Yeah. So then using the... And you could say the exact same thing about poses, too, that um, these are elegant tools. The poses are great, but using them in the wrong way means using them, um, approaching them um, in a way that has to do with achievement and outward um, presentation, mm-hmm. right? Rather than integration and... Uh, and internal, um, a sort of internal alignment, you know? And so I feel like, you know, we talk about in our classes here um, that it's not about doing the right position, but rather creating internal conditions, Mm. internal spacings, creating the, uh, maintaining the right relationship between body parts Mm -hmm. um and that's so much more interesting than um what the thing looks like right than strike a pose yeah it's totally and i'm just over it at this point i've been doing yoga for 25 years and i've seen the yoga world just you know have its um at least the american yoga world have its um its little kind of adolescent um, growing pains and and you could say we're still in the adolescent phase you could say I as one who's only been practicing 25 years I'm an adolescent practitioner compared to Rodney or Richard mm-hmm. or my friend Kathy Kasha who's a fabulous teacher who's been practicing since I or teach, she's been teaching yoga since I was in fourth grade oh yeah right? I heard you say that earlier that's <laughs> amazing crazy uh-huh. but um, so I guess the main um, thing to remember well, I'll, let me back up and say one other thing. That one of my favorite things Richard, Rodney, and Kathy have all taught me is that instead of seeing the, the outstanding part of a pose, 
say, triangle pose. Mm -hmm. Instead of seeing the person's top hand and then the alignment of their feet. What they all taught me to do was to see the in-standing part of the pose. The spaces between. Oh, See what I mean? The space between their legs. The space between the bottom hip and the bottom shoulder. um, The distance between the hands. And, um, And I think if you look at at poses, if we're just going to say that, mm-hmm. for their in-standing qualities mm-hmm. rather than their outstanding qualities, it leads you to not only an appreciation for space and having proper room, room to breathe and whatnot, but it leads you toward this more internal experience that um, is the kind of bubbler or wellspring of of the intuition and instinct that you are talking about. Meaning, the inner space, leaving space for yourself, is the void from which these inner, um, these voices actually emanate. Boom. Right? Holy, yeah. Put that in your pipe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Space. So... It's That's what inf- I abbreviate when people are like, well, what is yoga? You know, like, what is it? And I, my, the simplest answer is, it's about creating space. Wow. Right? Awesome. I mean... Awesome. I feel like you taught me that. I think so. I mean, that's, <laughs> but maybe because that's what's been so, that's the direction I've been going in more and more these yeah. last Yeah. Well, and what's years. so beautiful about physical space, and I like, you know, so you and I both came into yoga from a physical standpoint, mm-hmm. like enchanted by the physicality of it, or and really like awed, you know, mm-hmm. like I was also shocked. I was just like, oh my God, it's hard. Like, mm-hmm. and then that, the relaxation piece, you know, I don't think I was as aware as you, when you walked out of that first class mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, I'm not anxious. Mm-hmm. But that definitely, it had to be there for me too. Yeah, that's what kept bringing you back. Bringing you back, yeah. But it's like, but it's that, what I didn't realize was happening and maybe lots of us don't. It was creating space the whole time. Yes. But it was physical space that I could feel, but then the translation was then like mental space or heart space. Boom. Boom again. And that's the space we're really yearning for because, Correct. like, sure, like, it feels really great to have your hamstrings longer. Right. But, but that, and that, like, it kind of, you know, bubbles up, as you say. Yeah. And it does. And, like, it makes more space for your heart. It makes more space for your lungs to breathe. Yeah. It makes more space for your, for the voices in your head to quiet down. Totally. And yes. Mm-hmm. So that, I just, Sorry to interrupt you, but the no. space between that you're creating your body has an equivalent space in your mind where you start getting more gaps between thoughts. Mm. And then you start realizing that you've been kind of bamboozled by thoughts or kind of propagandized by thoughts. And that if you could reside in the spaces between thoughts and be more in that witnessing presence then you're not as identified with the thoughts or beholden to them or reactive toward them. And then you're freer all of a sudden in your life, right? Yeah. You're significantly freer to, um, to not be living on autopilot and to be living with um, intention and, and with wonder again. Yeah. Amazing. 
amazing. Yeah, so super cool that you named those, that the, how the physical, I mean, that's the, one of the main things yoga has to teach us too, that there is no separation between physical and mental and spiritual. There are one thing. It's all different facets of this one experience or totality that we call the, the human being. Right. And then in the Eastern practices, I mean, this has been more widely known and Yes. And here in the West, we're just like, kind of, here we are figuring it out for ourselves. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. everybody's journey. Yeah. You know, it's like everybody as an individual or as, as a society, like, until totally. so we are on. So I do, um, I do want to be kind um, to the yoga world. Yes. You know, and it's like yes. so easy to, to get downtrodden on it. Yeah. Um, it's so easy for me to say because I those middles and <laughs> totally totally and i feel the same way that like maybe i've become sort of a snob in, in some ways that i wouldn't practice such and such style of yoga because i think it's injurious or to me it's just i'm not interested anymore but you know what man maybe if if the 19 year old jeffrey version of jeffrey came into 44 year old version of jeffrey's class Maybe that guy would think this was like too uh, slow or uh, subtle or just like yeah. boring or too esoteric, and maybe he wouldn't have stayed, you know? Right. So, whatever gets you in the door. Yeah. I think from, we, I should, we, we should acknowledge that it's yeah. super useful, the, the, just the physical benefits and the physical aspect of it is super useful, and it's a great. Um, gateway drug or whatever. That's, if you yeah, will. absolutely. <laughs> Wait, the, point. that so like my aunt, Cami Lewis, Hala, uh, she brought me to my first yoga class when I was like I was like sixteen or seventeen, and it wow. was a Bikram class. Wow. And I out you know on Oak Street. Yeah. Like um, and I like <laughs> in my head the whole time I was like this is crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. Like I was jaw drop shocked. At the same time, like completely enchanted, mm. and it was Bruno Tessiander, the teacher. I remember Bruno. Oh, yeah, it's great. Kind of that French accent. I couldn't understand hardly a word he was saying. Yeah, because it was such a thick accent. But that was also like such an incredible challenge for me, because <clears throat> listening is a new skill. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, and on my <laughs> podcast notes, I write at the top every time: listen with love. Mm. But I had to I had to struggle to listen to him mm. because he was one, two, three in it, bend two, three, except and for like the first couple of times I mean maybe ten classes and I was yeah. like, I don't know what he's saying. Yeah. Finally he was saying one, two, three, inhale. One, two, three, exhale. Yeah. I was probably holding my breath the whole time. Like, yeah. I don't even know. But it was like, but yeah. Ugh. But so, and I'm like so grateful for that. And after, I remember that after the first class, sweating like a, you know, I mean, yeah. drenched. Yeah. And I was like, is this safe? I asked him. I was like, this doesn't feel safe. Mm. And he was like, oh, it is beyond safe. It is fantastic. You must come back. And I was like, okay, when should I come back? And he was like, tomorrow. He was like, you do seven days for $7. Come every day for seven days. Mm. And I was like, you're insane. You want me to come in the sweat box seven days in a row? Yeah. And he was like, yeah. And just like his passion for it. Right? Yes, his fervor and determination. And 
And and he taught the series really. Like, even looking back on it, he taught it really well. Yeah, like, it wasn't locked your knee craziness. Oh, yeah. It was really beautiful. Had, I would take it again. Totally. He had good. He had some Iyengar infusion. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, but but right, like so, seventeen version of me. Right. I mean, I. I it got me. Yeah. You know that like the intensity, the the heat, the mm-hmm. this drill sergeanty kind of thing like mm-hmm. it was totally what I needed mm-hmm. it was like my it was like going to I don't know French boot camp yeah totally I mean. I think what you're speaking to as well is the the power of the practice that transcends the teacher who's just yeah. a megaphone for the practice right it's it sounds so cliche a lot of yoga teachers say that I'm just a channel for this mm-hmm. but you know it is true that you are you're conveying something that's deeper, richer, fuller, vaster than your idiosyncratic, you know, verbiage or your words. So Rodney used to tell me all the time, he's like, look, man, at the end of the day, it's not about what you're saying, but how you're saying about saying it. Mm-hmm. It's about, he said, Jeffrey, don't, don't, don't get so hung up on the techniques of your, you know, descriptions and instructions. Don't worry about the content as much of what you're saying, but just focus on the vibration of your voice. Mm. How it's coming out. Because ultimately, that's what you get taken away from. That man was conveying compassion, or that man was communicating uh, a tenderness, or a... Um, I mean, it's love. A love, Like, it's, right? like, so cheesy to say that, but, I mean, it's, that's what it is. Yeah. Care, compassion, yeah. all that, like, kind of bottled up. You know? Totally. And, if I can keep going, I yeah. want to circle back to something you said a while ago. Please do. You said, um, you talked about giving permission to your students or whatever to, to listen or to have space or to slow down not over effort, that kind of thing. Mm. What's mind-boggling to me, both as a teacher and a practitioner, is that I still sometimes forget to give myself permission. 100%. Right? That a lot of us are great at taking care of animals or infants or elderly people. We're in some ways nicer to, um, to others than we are to ourselves and that's a that's a really big point in all of this I think because um, if we can't extend that same generosity of spirit to ourselves or that same compassion or um, um, give ourselves permission to just be rather than do then we're not going to actually hear the murmurs of intuition or, or Feel the instinct in our body. We're, totally, we're not because, going to because yeah. we're we're forcing something. We're needing to to um, make things a certain way or be right. We get into all this mm-hmm. list of shoulds. I should be better at this than I am, or blah blah blah. That internal dialogue. Yeah. yeah. How do you speak to your own self? Yeah. It's a really that's a really good question to ask yourself. Huge one. And I mean, I have many, I could tell a hundred stories about this, how people brought it to my you know, attention that I have a, a sometimes cr- harshly critical voice to myself. Most recently yeah. being when I was playing um, frisbee golf, disc golf, over um, the, 
the holiday. I was with my both my sons and um, you know a couple other a couple of my high school friends. One from LA, one from New York, who flew in town. And, and like there are probably ten of us who met up, and there were several kids. Um, and we're just playing disc golf, which is you walking through a park, throwing a frisbee at a basket, just having a good time talking, right? And I was trying to encourage some of the the people who were, um, you know, hadn't, hadn't didn't know the rules or were just learning, right? And and I was like, yeah, nice, good release, good toss, or just trying to say something positive about mm-hmm. their throw. And, and <laughs> after the third hole, my older son uh, looks at me, he's like, Dad, you're funny, man. Have you noticed that after every every time another person throws, you say something glowingly positive about them? Like you talk about the wrist snap or the release or good shoulder rotation or that'll play. You know, all my little, <laughs> you know, little just encouraging remarks. Those are my like teacher marks. And he's like, every time you throw the disc, Dad, and it's slightly less than perfect, you say, God damn it, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, ooh. You're right. So. I'm so nice to a, to pretty much everybody else, and then to myself. God damn it, Jeffrey! Like what? And what it was like, that? what yeah. is that, dude? Oh. Why? Why the inner um, harshness? Why do we have a blind spot for ourselves in that permission and compassion part? And what would happen if I could maybe extend a little bit of that to myself? Mm-hmm. Would I? Would I then be permitting instinct and um, allowing the intuition to to flow? Uh, I mean, the other good one is my brother, who I play tennis with frequently. He told me one time, a couple years ago, it's like, he's like, dude, you should really try taking one of your yoga classes because <laughs> you could learn a lot by the things that you're teaching. And he's like, if you listen the way you talk, are you like? yell at yourself on the court like, <laughs> you, you would never talk to your students like that you should right. you should try taking one of your classes sometime you know have you ever taken one of your classes oh like on my yoga to go um no that's so funny no you, i've never tried it that's oh my point. god that's so yeah. funny you totally should <laughs> mm. yeah so it's it's mind-blowing you know i remember fun. um i was in um nicaragua with Shannon and Lindsay we lead a t- retreat mm-hmm. and um, Shannon taught one of the classes you know and she decided to throw a little loving kindness meditation at the end yeah you know and bring into the you know your vision of somebody that you very, very rarely see or you know like and I see like you know the cash register like the cashier at the grocery store that oh, I always see wow. and I mean like my heart just like lights up and I smile mm-hmm. and then it's like oh and then see the person that makes you smile the most and I always think about my brother mm-hmm. he's just like always the first person that just pops into that one so I was like oh my brother and then she's like and then and then think about yourself or like turn it to you and I started crying and that's the loving kindness meditation that's like a very common one right but like wow I mean crying just like yeah un- uncontrollable tears yeah not like sobbing but just like it was really hard yeah and so yeah mm. that's my version of i think we put a mental asterisk by that mm-hmm. theme of this conversation because yeah. it's i think that's the work that um that we still um, that we're all still in, in need of yeah um 
very much, obviously, myself, yourself included. That, totally. Um, you know, and, and we talk about that with our kids, right? Just yeah. like, you look at your kids and you see just that immediately they are a child of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. They came out as like whole and um, they are our teachers in, in so many ways. Um, but we forget that someone actually regarded us in that same light. Yeah. And still do. Still probably do. Like, we're still, like, we're still little kids just all grown up. Yeah. You know? It's like, and it is, it is amazing, like, to how we can be so kind to others and not so kind to ourselves. Yeah. That really is, it's a big piece. That's a big one. I think that's maybe the part of the practice that Mm -hmm. um, we should keep exploring or experimenting with. Just experimenting, you know? Definitely. Do you want to tell the story from your perspective? And then I'll try to answer some sure. of your Sure. By that. So, yeah. So, I, I walk into Jeffrey's studio um, probably on a Thursday, ready to double back. And I was just like, I was early. And I'm, you know, notoriously not very early. Yeah. So, I was definitely like carving out time, whether I was conscious of it or not. Because yeah. I don't really even know. But I was like, I looked at Jeffrey and I was like, man what's this all about? What, like, what is life about? And I just remember your response was, it was basically just like, oh, wait till you have kids. Mm -hmm. And you'll just instantly know. Mm -hmm. And you elaborated a little bit on, like, on you feeling like you are here to, like, Usher space for Xander. Yes. And that's what you said. And I was just like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait till you have kids, you know, because, because you do see in yourself some of that essence that, that your child has when it comes out. You see that the purity, the brightness in their eyes, the just unbelievable majesty of like their fingers moving or the elegance of how their spine balances right mm. and you're like oh well I actually am that too Yeah. so there is this recognition of your own essence in observing the essence of your child mm-hmm. I think that's probably what I was speaking to because there it is again dude What's the point of life? What's the point of life? You're looking for it from the outside. Right. (laughs) And all the time, the yoga is saying, look look inside. Look within. Feel within. It's here. It's the, you know, the Kabir quote of, um, what is God? He is the breath inside the breath. You know, like, it's, it's, it's so close to us that we forget to, to, it's, it's hidden in plain sight. Right? It's right it's there. Yeah. yeah, it was right there the whole time. And yeah. And sometimes it feels really obvious. Yeah. And sometimes it feels really distant and yes. foreign. Yes. And then so it's just being okay with that. Right. And just knowing that's actually part of the path too, yeah. the vibration. There's times of clarity, there are times of obscurity. Mm-hmm. Um, what I meant too in that, in my comment about just wait till you have kids was like, you you were at a time in your life you were probably like mid 20s mm-hmm. or something when you asked me that and it's you're in kind of a there's this anxiety 
that goes with the mid-20s for many of us. And you could say this is the there's a function of privilege because you and I grew up with you know, mm. top-notch educations and had all our needs met. So we could do endless amount of things. We could go in any career direction we wanted, right? Right. So maybe it's our lug- the anxiety is a function of our luxury there, right, and privilege that we could just choose whatever. But it's like, oh, my God, there's so many things to choose that could do – what do I do? What do I do? What's most going to be most fulfilling or whatever? And you, yeah. you don't quite know where to, to, to go there. Yeah. But um, when you have your first child, it's the Copern- same as the Copernican revolution mm-hmm. where you realize that the, um, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, which yes. is the geocentric model that people thought yes. for decades. The earth actually revolves around the sun. And, um, and so when you go to, instead of it all being about me and I need to, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I should travel abroad or I need to read more self-help books or figure it out. Someone's going to give me the answer. I'm going to try to find it from the outside. That really drops away when you have your son, because now it's, you're just trying to change diapers and get food and do um, very practical things that needed for the child's survival so you're now revolving around the sun s-o-n instead of the s-u-n you know what i mean and in that rain what i really meant at that moment was like in that change of orientation you the small you the anxious you the the kind of um the questioning you fades and the you that's a bigger you that's actually of service and of more, um, um, yeah, of just service and connection, that you emerges. And so the meaning of life is, it seems like it's to be found in those moments of self-forgetting. Mm-hmm. And those are all our best moments when you go to Jazz Fest and you hear so engaged in this one performance that like time totally evaporates. You yeah. are in every every single chord and mm-hmm. note, right? Or in in a sporting event where it's just future and past fade away. And I'm talking not even playing tennis or something. I'm saying yeah. like observing. observing. It is you're, you're so absorbed in it, right? Or mm-hmm. you could say that in in any of the arts, you could say that in cooking, you could say that in reading a book, you could say that in walking with a loved one in nature. I mean, anything in which the um, the the sort of fecundity of the moment has has trumped your descriptions of the moment or what you're trying to see it as mm-hmm. your perception. You're like. Or yeah, you, yeah, your description. You're, right, when you're, when you're present, then all of a sudden that you just drops away, right? Yes, and it's such a, like, it's so interesting to be so present. Seems like it would be such a you-oriented thing. Totally. But then it's not. It's not. It's an it's everything else thing. Right, you disappear. Yeah, and I mean, and you were 100% right. Like, literally, at the moment, you know, Wolfie's head crowned between my legs, it was like, I, like, some, something happened. Some ethereal thing happened, yeah. and like, I met, I met the rest of the world. Yeah, it's crazy. So they people would say he was born, but you were born on that day too. Totally, right, hundred percent. 
And that's why I do think mothers should get gifts on their children's birthday because they're the ones who birth that day too. <laughs> yeah. It's your birth. You were yeah. birth into like womanhood, but also your it's, it was it was meaningful of a day. It's totally. Oh my god, <laughs> a couple days, right? I know. <laughs> right? Couple days, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, Cheering up. It's so powerful. Yeah. Did you write it? Oh, uh. Uh-uh. I'm just going to read it to the listeners then. Do it, yeah. <clears throat> what you missed that day you were absent from fourth grade by Brad Aaron. Mrs. Nelson explained how to stand still and listen to the wind, how to find meaning, meaning in pumping gas, how peeling potatoes can be a form of prayer. She took questions on how not to feel lost in the dark. After lunch, she distributed worksheets that covered ways to remember your grandfather's voice. Then the class discussed falling asleep without feeling you had forgotten something to do. Something, wait, without feeling you had forgotten to do something else, hmm. something important. And how to believe the house you wake in is your home. This prompted Mrs. Nelson to draw a chalkboard di- diagram detailing how to chant the Psalms during cigarette breaks. <laughs> and how to squirm, how not to squirm for sound when your own thoughts are all you hear. Also, that you have enough. The English lesson was that I am is a complete sentence. And just before the afternoon bell, she made the math equation look easy. The one that proves that hundreds of questions and feeling cold and all those nights spent looking for whatever it was you lost, and the one person add up to something. The English lesson is that I am is a complete sentence. Oh. That's crazy. Man. It's just such a gorgeous poem. Oh right? my God. So beautiful. David White, uh, my favorite poet, always says that um, yoga or yoga, you know, poetry. <laughs> David Same White thing. did not say yoga. He said, <laughs> he said um, you know, poetry is language against which you have no defenses, where just mm. something gets pulled down and it penetrates through to you. You know, Ugh. I confuse that with um, like Rodney's first book was yoga, the poetry of the body. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, when I've hybridized uh, David White and <laughs> yoga, or David White and Rodney, I've thought like. Maybe if I could combine their two, you know, those two sentiments, it'd be like, yoga is bodily language against which you have no defenses. Oh, yeah. Because you get brought to these moments where you're in some of these configurations and you're like, the, the armor, kind of, the weight of the armor you have falls down and something, um, something so light and so tender and so sweet flows in and um, I think back to our other theme of hey can we just keep shining the light or be more generous with ourselves like can we keep expanding our capacity to 
to receive, to receive that lightness. Yeah. That's what we're all, how we're all kind of, I think that's a quest we're all up on in some way or other. Mm-hmm. You know? Totally. Oh my God, that I am is a complete <sighs> sentence. Dude. I know. It's like, wow. I am. So the opposite of what our consumer culture is telling you. You yeah. are not enough. You don't have enough. You need to look a certain way. You need to buy more. You need to, right? So yeah. we're in this this situation of, of constantly being told subliminally we're not enough. And um, the value of these practices um, or of going out in nature or of just spending time with your children is that you realize that there is so much abundance in you. Mm-hmm. You are enough just by virtue of being. Right? Yeah. That's, a, that's a major psychic release, a major emotional um, um, healing probably, I would say too. Yeah, and I, mean, I feel like, you know, it's also like, and of course not, we have little ones. When you look at what they're teaching in school and what we were taught in school, it really doesn't feel like you're enough. Uh-uh. You know, like all the grades and the numbers and then this and and it's like, and I get it. You know, I get like, because there's some sort of. I think it was Shannon too in 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 our teacher training that she asked. She was like, "But what? Like, how do you do something? How do you try to do something? How to try to be good at something without having it be this like ego thing? Mm-hmm. You know, and and." I think you answered it really beautifully. If you could just speak to that. Well, it's like... I th- what I think what I tried to say was... Something along the lines of the Bhagavad Gita's message of... You know, you have a right to your actions, but not to the fruits of your actions. So it's like... You... Ultimately don't have ownership of the... The result. Um, you can work really hard for a result if that's what you're interested in, but ultimately, like uh, whether that thing comes to fruition or not, is is the it's a combination of all sorts of other forces mm-hmm. um, that many of which are invisible and that you don't necessarily have, you know, influence over. So it's like, I think what I was trying to tell Shannon was just to, to de-identify yourself from that future result or to divest yourself from the, uh, the what's to be gained for it and to focus instead on, the, on the, the actions, the small steps, the means whereby that thing would take place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the wise man, this is the Bhagavad Gita, just straight up. The wise man lets go of all results, whether good or bad. Stays focused on the action alone. Yoga is skill in action. Right. Love that definition. Yoga is skill in action because mm-hmm. I don't have to stand on my head to have skill in action. Right. I can be. Um, I can do any single thing that we're talking about, and from parenting to being um, uh, to brushing your teeth, whatever. Yeah, like doing the dishes. Whatever. Yeah. Skillful action is being just so immersed in. Um, the quality of the action that the the thing you're going to get out of it is not the primary mm-hmm. motivating factor. 
Right. And of course, the sort of joke is that, and I tell this to my students all the time in handstand, right? Focus on the way your hands are contacting the ground. Focus evenly. Is inner heel the hand, outer heel the hand, all the finger roots. Lift the pits of your palms, the pits of your armpits. Those are really step-by-step things, right? Mm-hmm. And if you just focus on those little actions, the firming of your shoulder blades to your back, blah, 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 then you can, handstand just happens. It happens, right. Right. It just does. The the thing just blooms somehow. Mm -hmm. But I want to do handstands so I can get more Instagram likes. I don't even know if they're called likes, whatever they are. More Instagram (laughs) approval or something. Like then, then I'm doing it for a result and I'm working really hard for a result. But secretly, that result is bound up in in my identification. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm free from that if I if I stay more and, focused on action. And again, I think that that's like why is you know that's it's why having a yoga practice or you know like a a connecting with yourself practice because that's what we forget because that's what we're not taught. We weren't taught that growing up, and we're certainly not taught that in our adult Western American lives. Beautiful. So it's like we got to go outside. Um, Beautiful. The regular, you know, the or the the. The sort of like day-to-day mundane things yep. that are happening in the yep. look inside. And so this is, um, this is uh, antidotal, like yoga or just mindfulness yeah. in general is antidotal to all of the other subliminal messages that we're being right. inculcated with. Exactly. So we, we need it as a, not to say, not drop out, go to sit in a cave in the Himalayas or whatever. Work. We tried that. Yeah, right. It doesn't work. No, you have to be engaged in, mm-hmm. in life, but you need in order to be get engaged and to be sane. I think you sane or centered. You need to have these like antidotal practices or little pockets or moments of of um, of relief of just uh, everything that guy is saying that poet yeah. is saying in the, in the pose. Just learning that peeling potatoes is a yeah. is a form of prayer. Oh. Oh, so Makes me want to cry when I hear yeah. that, dude. Well, wait, and here's what I just realized, though. I we 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 need to, if we get back on the evolution of Jeffrey, still that's where we need to be back on. We oh, are, you are in teacher training with oh, Rodney and oh man, and then just teaching, discovering I actually like to communicate with people. We're um, <laughs> just sharing, you know, trying to articulate some of these things to people. Um, I was waiting tables at Rose's Cafe in San Francisco. Um, this one man who came in every week who I waited on was a yoga studio owner named Tony Sanchez. And he was the number one protege of Bikram Shudre, actually, back in the day. Oh. And he owned a studio, and he's like, look, um, I'm closing my studio down. I'm moving to Baja. Um, I teach this one corporate group, and you know, I'm just wondering if you'd be interested in 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 teaching them or try or auditioning because mm-hmm. they were having they were going to see who Tony's replacement was going to be right. He's like they pay two hundred and fifty dollars per hour. Um, they're just a great company, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut <laughs> off for like a hundred and twenty dollars on an eight yeah. hour table shift that let me do the math here boo, 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 boo. <laughs> that sounds a lot better right and so I went and auditioned and, and and got that um gig and that was a pretty big turning point for me too because I started realizing that I liked to teach um 
uh, I liked importing yoga into places where it didn't seem to be as prevalent, you know, a conference room of uh, this high-pressure sales environment doesn't seem sort of antithetical to yoga, but to, to bring some of these practices to people there and see the relief they got, the, um, the peace they um, experienced made me think, oh, there are probably all sorts of other places I could deliver this to. And it made, from a teaching, practicing perspective, it made me more creative because I started to have to figure out how to modify yeah. practices for people. And so that was cool. really the genesis of my prop affinity and, and ways I would use, you know, everything, all the tools I had in that conference room. Mm -hmm. I would use the rolling, I had people doing headstands on chairs, right? Um, you name it. We would do Tita Hasanpanagustasana, like leg stretches with the, the desks, um, all sorts of um, uh, creative uh, techniques were born out of that. Um, experience and then I got more kind of workplace wellness or corporate groups um, which is how I was able to quit waiting tables and just teach yoga professionally Amazing. To living which is really a blessing I still feel blessed about that mm -hmm. um, kept teaching at the yoga loft in San Francisco for that you know my friend Jane uh, mm -hmm. who would ask me to teach she had that studio for a decade and along with our friend Meg um, and yeah I just kept um, treating the teaching as its own form of practice. So I had my own practice, which I obviously was informing my teaching, but then the teaching felt like its own practice, um, which was serving others and, um, you know, probably would have stayed in the Bay Area for ever uh, were it not for the um, arrival of our second son, the Taylor getting pregnant with our second um child we started to feel like we were missing um, raising our our children around grandparents or mm -hmm. uh, cousins and in the, the place we were both from and so that was when I moved back home and opened up for Red Street that was mm -hmm. almost 10 years ago um, yeah it's just funny I mean the leading teacher training is like the one I did for you I think I did six different 200-hour programs. Mm -hmm. I led my own 300-hour program. Um, and it's through that experience of leading teacher training programs, I sort of untrained myself in mm -hmm. some sort of ways. Like, I started to realize all sorts of yoga colloquialisms or empty phrases that I was still touting but didn't necessarily believe in. Hmm. Um and so it made me, it got me more in touch with what was actually essential and vital and what, what I believed yeah. was the important parts of yoga. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, so much to the point where I was like, God, I led all these trainings and now I'm, you know, ironically don't believe in a lot of yoga. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, I had like a little midlife crisis of wanting to just stop. I'm like, oh man, why... Um, why don't I just do these practices for myself and, and focus on some other um, form of vocation or use the skills or everything I've learned from yoga but apply it? You know, I kind of wanted a new challenge or, mm -hmm. or wanted a different type of of work even. And then uh, I just um, sat with that one. You know, this is just this year, honestly, and I, I had my own little Edinburgh Park 
bench moment of like, well, now that I have three children, I can't say, well, what do you do with your life if you know, if money didn't matter at all? Because actually, right. I need to buy Cheerios for my right. kids, right, and shoes. So it does matter. So it was like, what? How can I best use my skills and serve um, humanity, knowing that money actually does matter as a part of it, and and uh. Yeah, I mean, I still, I don't teach with that ulterior motive of like getting the result, getting the dollars. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think in, in recent months of like, man, I, I haven't even scratched the surface of who I can spread these teachings to. Um, I think I have a lot to say to a lot of people and that it would be useful for them in their lives and, and it's also the way you say it I apologize for just no. jumping in but <clears throat> you know there isn't a day there's never been a day where I've been in this studio where it, there's aha moments that are palatable and like physically you know like energetically I'm aware of them happening whether they're happening for me or whether they're happening for a practitioner you know a couple mats over mm -hmm. and there's there's like a there's a pulsation of vibration that comes from this place and it is because of you mm. um and, and which is <clears throat> pretty cool um you know i have joked on the podcast also with some other people that it's very selfish of me because i want to sit and have these conversations with these hugely inspirational people right. so it's selfish and i'm admitting it right but the cool part is that getting to spread it, getting yeah. to share it. Right, that's not selfish at all. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, and, and so that's why ta bringing in the My Yoga To Go conversation and yoga for older adults, mm -hmm. Jeffrey Roniger, I would love for you to just speak to these programs. Totally. Because that's, um, you know, a big reason why I have Jeffrey on the show today um, and why I wanted to do this in New Orleans before waiting for Sawtooth yes. um, in Idaho and everything um, is because we're we've always like kind of worked together we've always I've always been learning from you and mm -hmm. you know we've had there's this energy and this momentum with our relationship mm -hmm. um as yoga teachers and practitioners and you know sort of keepers of this sacred thing mm -hmm. that we call yoga um and so I'm like <clears throat> overjoyed to have you tell the guests about this offering that is going to be a sort of a cross-pollination between um the new digital evolution of rain studios yeah. and your programs awesome well um i started myyogatogo.com in 2013 um and the idea was uh exactly what i just left off saying like i want to spread this message just like you want to spread inspiration this message as many people as you can yeah. not for um for your own aggrandizement because it's beautiful and you want to share beauty with other people and have people feel more alive and right like um like our new friend or my new friend and your old friend cheryl um mm -hmm. who's in bend yesterday i mean i looked at her point blank and said like jeffrey's like a huge part of the reason like i'm why i'm still alive mm. and like i mean I, i've struggled with um a lot of things as we all have in mm. our lives but um but like this studio and this practice even though I was running my own studio and had my own practice, mm -hmm. but like this place was keeping me grounded. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you're, you know, um, and I practice my yoga to go on my own. Mm -hmm. And I also, when I just have, you know, my little uh, ear, 
mm-hmm. ear uh, dampeners in, oh, yeah. um, you know, I hear Jeffrey's voice yeah. when he's when I'm yeah. practicing, and yeah. so it's like it, it's it's a lifesaver. It's um, so to be able to deliver this, it is, dude. And just to, um, I mean, say you, you talked about the positive vibrations in this studio being um, generating aha moments for people, yes. and that it comes from me, and I have to. Just, to kind of right. deflect in a little way to say, yeah, but I got that from somebody else. Of course. So my teachers gave that to me. And, and if you asked Richard Rosen, you say, yeah, but my, I got that from exactly. somebody else. So it, we are all just passing the bucket along. Mm. And I feel honored to be part of the fire brigade. Just me passing too. the bucket. Well, totally. And like I'm teaching um, at uh, this studio called Gather Together mm-hmm. in Eugene. And, they, and, you know, and the students are so cool. They're like, that was amazing. Like, you know, and they're, and they come into my class and they're like, we feel like your class, we're like learning something. Whereas like we're in, we're going to other classes and we're, you know, doing like yoga and the air quotes, you know, and like postural, but they're like, we really feel like we're learning something in here. And I'm like, you guys gotta meet Jeffrey because like, it's all, yeah. So it's the bucket, you know, and and I can say like, it's from Rodney and Richard and Jeffrey and Kathy, you know, and it's just all coming down the pipeline. And and one of those students is going to get it from you and share it to somebody else. Or Edna during Thanksgiving break when Edna's back hurts. Or look what Rain taught me. And so we're all just sharing these things. So my inspiration for the Mayo to go was just, okay, I taught in San Francisco for a decade. How can I still give the things that I'm working on in my own practice and my teachings to my San Francisco students, you know, many of whom have left the Bay Area and are now um, across the world. One uh, subscriber to My Yoga To Go is, lives in Perth, Australia. Another nice. one lives in Dublin, Ireland. Another one lives in Berlin. Um, that really makes me happy that those students are still able to, to um, keep connected with me. And here I'm doubling back on the whole, you know, um, not knocking social media exactly. or technology because when it's it's a good tool when it, when it's used in a, a, the right way then it's um, of service and not um, just for aggrandizement. Yes. And so anyway, dude, it was like I just want I'm acknowledging the fact that a lot of people can't make it to the studio for one reason or another. Right? Yeah. When you have a small child, like the baby's napping and you can't leave during the middle of the day or you can't even do like a full hour long Rodney yoga for energy practice. Like you might only have a 20 minute pocket by the time you've unloaded the dishwasher, return a couple emails, mop the floor. Like now you've got 20 minutes before the baby wakes up. And so I wanted to address that and give people accessible, um, instructional videos that they could do on their own at their own convenience. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, um, so that was it. They're mostly shorter. They're 10, 20, 30. We have a few 40-minute videos. But they're meant to be coupled together, or they can be coupled together to yeah. produce longer practices. That's how I do it. Yeah, it's just neat. So you can do a little series. Um, and I think what I was trying to tell you not too long ago was that I feel more like a cookbook author than some sort of, um, I don't know, self-helpy how-to mm-hmm. person. Because what I'm sharing with you are recipes that I cook all the time mm-hmm. to, give my, to get myself grounded or centered or cleansed on the inside or focused. Yesterday you said or, nourished. Nourished, such yeah. A, 
Yeah, I want to feel nourished from yoga, not just worked out. Dude. Yeah. I want that space that you're talking about, space between thoughts, or space for my heart to open up, right? Not just work out. Yeah. Some days maybe I do want to work out. Great, okay, I can do that too through right. yoga. But three core, the, all the core series. Totally. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> There's not there. There is that part of yoga, but it's just so rich. I want it to be fundamentally. Uh, nourishing for anyone who participates and so what I presented were like recipes that I thought would inspire people to it would like get them over the hump of starting a home practice it would just kickstart them in some ways and you and I know this where like sometimes you don't feel like doing yoga try raising your arms over your head one time and all of a sudden that leads into a sun salutation or you it has a momentum that starts to be carried with it and um, and so yeah that's that was the the idea. I've been happy with how um, my yoga to go has has worked, um, but where I've shifted my focus in this last year or so is to to getting um, to trying to speak to populations um, for whom yoga still feels inaccessible or daunting, and so the creation of yoga for older adults was like, wait a sec. There are all these people who are my parents' friends. You know, my parents are mid-70s. They're like, I, we've heard from our doctors that yoga is good for us, but, but we can't, there's no class for us. They can't even go to a level one. They can't come safely get out onto all fours or right. put weight on their hands for a down dog or whatever. They need a, a modified version of the practice, a distilled version of the practice. And... Um, and so that's been my quest, you know, same quest all along, spread um, yoga to, or what I love about yoga to as many people as I can. And I think I'm excited about the Yoga for Older Adults program because it's sort of, you know, in that same spirit and it's the culmination of what we've learned through doing these other videos. And a lot of the feedback we had was, you know, we have 250 videos on, on myyogatogo.com, which is a lot. We've yeah. filmed them for a long time. But people are like, whoa, there are too many choices. I don't even know what to do. So if, if, we, if I made it like a, a program where do them in the succession, mm -hmm. I'm going to walk you through this whole arc, then um, you would, wouldn't have that same anxiety of not knowing where to go. And, mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's really neat. I feel, feel like we created something useful. Um, it's our same signature way of being... Uh, you know, humorous but still substantive of being um, practical um, without erasing the, the mystical, um, still just being more practically um, based. Yeah, and I feel like that's, you know, part of, um, part of why I'm like, I'm so excited about the program and, and you know, people have asked me like, well, why don't you just do your own? And, and like, sure. Like, I could do videos, but, like, you are my teacher. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I have lots of teachers, and, you know, I, I'm not, like, a Jeffrey, like, on my knees guru type of person. But it's, it's, it's beautiful, really authentic content mm -hmm. that is existing already that, mm -hmm. like, that is accessible. That's the key. Mm -hmm. Like, the key is that you speak to such a vast amount of people like 
And it's funny, like I keep using Shannon as an example, but like when Shannon takes your class, she hears something different than what I hear. Right. And we have joked about that so much. Yeah. And it's like, but the accessibility is, it's to all of us. It's to so many people, you know, young, old, middle-aged, yeah. like even, you know, pregnant mamas or postpartum, uh-huh. like for some reason, like we all hear what we need to hear from what you're offering yes. is. And so that's why I just like, I'm so excited to host the platform because um, it like, there, it is the hardest thing in the world to get to yoga, just like you said. Yeah. Whether you roll your mat out at your house or you, gosh, make it to studio. Yeah. But like this way, you can supplement. You you know you can supplement a studio practice you already yeah. have. You can like jumpstart your own home practice that yeah. you've always wanted to have that you just never figured out how to do it. Totally. And I gotta say too, the nectar. I've been such a cheerleader for home practice for people because I think the mm-hmm. real nectar of stillness and silence comes about most effectively when you're in the solitude of your own home. We can have terrific experiences in a group setting. It can be very powerful. But to have your own connection to stillness and silence, I'm calling it, is it's um, you can loll about in it. You can really bathe in it. in a way that, uh, just in a, in a longer, deeper way. And yeah. If I, can, if I can get people to go in that direction, to be disciples of themselves, guru, their own guru, yes. and um, to taste that stillness and silence for themselves, then I'll feel like I've, um, I'll feel fulfilled. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I, I have written here um, on my notes is that during our 200-hour training, you know, one of us asked Jeffrey, like, so what's the most important thing you want us to take away from this training? Mm-hmm. And, like, without skipping a beat, you don't even think about it. You were like, oh, that you don't need me to do this. And it was, like, so, and I think you made a joke, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, not the greatest business model. Yeah. But uh, yeah. you don't need me for yes. this practice. And, you know, and, and we don't. But what's so cool is like, is, is the fact that you are, you know, that you have carried the bucket, so to speak, and you're continuing to carry them in the, yeah. in the line of the knowledge and the depth of your studies. I mm-hmm. mean, we kind of breezed over, mm-hmm. you know, your teacher training, but the training that you participated in in San mm-hmm. Francisco was pretty um, intense. Yes. And um, so, you know, and I, I recall what you said about Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. And that what did I say? You said that you that you hadn't told anybody this, maybe, but you were like, I felt like I like understood it. Yeah. Like weirdly, like I know I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that. I but know. It's so like, if you want us to edit that part out, we can. Oh no, you <laughs> can say. I mean, it just makes me sound like a little bit of the. Um, I in a previous life I was incarnated as Charlemagne or something. Yeah. You know, it sounds a little bit grandiose. But there's, there's, you don't have to edit this out because I think other people can take what I mean and, and um, put it to good use. I heard the Sanskrit terms for the poses and I just was like, I kind of knew what they were mm-hmm. in some weird way. And now whether I was convincing myself of that or just, I don't know, making it up in my own head, the effect it had upon me was the takeaway and it was that oh what 
if I'm just remembering these practices instead of learning them? It was like self-acceptance. Yeah. Like you accepted that you had this like magnetic a harmony or attraction to this practice and that it was like in every fiber of your being yeah yeah totally and that but then but that but i think everyone else does too yeah (laughs) is what i'm trying to say is that what i'm pointing people toward is so it's it's your birthright ease and grace and inner space are your birthright they're not something that you necessarily have to work hard to get they're yours and what largely doing most of the time is interfering with your ability to sense them and feel them and so if you just um relax into that notion like oh yoga is not actually um achieving mastery but just remembering the mystery remembering information that's already within Um, what's the line what's that the line that you always say remembering where we have come from and yearn to return. Oh, yeah. So I just, I say, right, your thigh bones once lived and yearn to return. Yes, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it, <laughs> So that's a more generous attitude toward the approach or, or toward the practice. That yeah. like, hey, you got this. You already got it. Just got to get out of your own way a little bit. And here's how that, here's one specific thing mm-hmm. that you could do to facilitate that. And, um... It's like my tennis teacher, uh, Jason Hampton, will play this little game with me sometimes where he, um, you know, he's acknowledged the same thing as my brother. Like, dude, which, which Jeffrey's going to show up today? The one who's really self-critical and down on himself or just the one who's got, like, beautiful strokes and who's carefree and fluid? Like, wh- which one Which one are you going to be today, you know? Um, he says it jokingly because... Um, because he, he's just trying to make it obvious. Like, clearly, yeah. we, we should, I want to choose the one that's, totally. that's more graceful, right? But, um, but so he plays this game of, like, you, let's pretend you're, you're Roger Federer. Like, actually <laughs> adopt the mannerisms of Roger Federer, who's by far my favorite athlete, like, all <laughs> time to watch. Because he's just so fluid. Yeah. And he's like, what would it be? How would Roger Federer talk to himself? What would his service motion be like? Could you start to embody with or kind of? embody that or impersonate it and when I do sometimes and I lose myself in that role playing <laughs> like acting it's like I'll be damned I'm like crushing the ball that's amazing and uh, and so what I'm trying to tell my students too is like just hey imagine that you are BKS Iyengar right you already have this practice in some ways and you just need to remember it takes the anxiety out of of what I should be doing Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. And it's very, oh, it's yeah. almost, chi- it's like a childlike curiosity. Yes. That's, or a childlike um, excitement. Yes. And that's, you know, something that's when you, the gift of being a parent is to be able to be inspired by those little people. And, and I mean, role playing, acting, it's all stuff totally. that like they just do, you know, without even totally. thinking about it. It's just part of what they do. Yeah. And yeah. And, and so there's so, there's so much kindness and lightness and, and um, joy to to, yeah. to imagine using your imagination for those things, and that's why I'm such a big fan of imagery in my teaching, right? Exactly, it, it bring it speaks to that more creative or childlike side, and it's uh, I think it's part of the reason I think I can connect to a diverse group of people because mm-hmm. I'm trying to 
I'm going to say something. It might sound silly, but it's it's um, it speaks to where they're coming from. Yeah. And then they can hear. It's like a universal language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The yeah. imagery, the metaphors, all of that. Yeah. It's a very. It takes it out of. Takes it out of just words and makes like images, yeah. pictures, feelings yeah. are conveyed. Yeah. And so it's that's where the aha moments come yeah. from. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should probably. I know. Wrap up Can you soon? do well? Yeah. And so what I will say is that Jeffrey's got three children and an incredible wife, Taylor, and we're just we're gonna hear birth stories and um, and the and the love story mm. on our next podcast. Cool. Okay. Great. And hopefully that's in Idaho. Great. Yes. Um. So the three tips for listeners to reset their lives or to start living more authentically instinctively and intuitively wow what are are the three jeffrey steps Ooh, i mean um one would be to spend time in nature by which i mean outward nature or inner nature (laughs) meaning just go sit by a stream watch the way water flows down the side of a mountain listen to the way the wind is whistling through leaves Um, if you can reconnect to nature on the outside it can contextualize your small day-to-day worries and stuff and, and put you more in touch with a bigger part of yourself that's one but if you just lie on the ground, <laughs> close your eyes, and look at the nature within, the mm. river of your own breath flowing through your torso, the, the way the breeze um, uh, is flowing between your toes, or um, to hear the you know, vibratory rhythm of your own heartbeat, that sort of non-judgmental sort of just observation of oneself as actually a function of nature can can um, bring one toward the same authenticity and remembering that we're describing right and it's the same thing is when you go look at those sawtooth mountains you uh, no one in the history of humankind has ever criticized or judged the mountain range right you just you, that's the silliest thing. Oh, I wish that peak was a little bit taller. Never. Was a little sharper. No, it would never occur to you. In the same way, you're never going to look at a cloud and be like, that cloud is really just poorly shaped. <laughs> I think I wish the creator had done it a little bit more symmetry. Well, when you start to see your, the irregularities of your own breath or the peaks and valleys of your own emotional landscape or whatever, you you can start to look at yourself as part of nature and um have some of that that self um judgment uh fade away which is uh the burgeoning of self-acceptance right so awesome so well said so nature (laughs) nature within and without would be one i think such a fan of the breath Uh, i think to notice the natural pause at the end of your exhalation 
is probably one of the simplest things that anybody can do in any life situation. Because the pause is, there's a stillness and a quietness. And it, uh, if you get more sensitized to that pause, you're less likely to react in a knee-jerky type of way. Knee-jerky, meaning kind of jerky, meaning kind of douchey. Sort of <laughs> <way>. <laughs> um, that would be a really good one. Just n- noticing the pause at the end of your exhale. And then finally, gosh, I'm only given three. Mm-hmm. This is such a fun little challenge. It's like it the desert fun. island question. Exactly. Like, yeah. Well, every time you're on the show, we'll give like another three. Oh, good. So okay, have some good. freedom there. Hooray. Because <laughs> I probably think of some other ones. Mm-hmm. But that whole, um, yeah, Rain and I and other yoga nerds would be like, okay, if you could only bring three yoga poses right. to a desert island and you could only do those three poses for the rest of your life, you know, what would they be? And that's yeah. a, just a fun yoga nerd discussion. Um, but I would say for the third one, just for living well, for feeling well, for um, getting quiet and listening and activating this intuition or instinct, um, I'd say get upside down every day. Mm. Get upside down every day. If that's a standing forward bend, a headstand if you can, shoulder stand if you can, or for the, the pose that literally anybody can do would just be Viparita Karani. Like put your legs up the wall. Or if your legs are tight, have your legs just propped up on a chair. Being upside down every day somehow turns your world right side up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Inverting yourself helps you change perspective of yourself and even if your outer circumstances haven't changed which they very rarely have from doing 10 minutes of legs up your wall right Mm -hmm. you still have that challenge at work or whatever or something you're doing even if your outer circumstances haven't changed the way you relate to that thing internally has changed Mm. and that's a powerful powerful little um tool for everybody totally Um, you know that's awesome change you you reconfigure yourself from the inside and then things on the outside can appear differently to you and yeah i just think that being upside down is one of the unique facets of um of yoga and did a little bit every every day. Um, it sounds so freaking cliche, but the world would be a more peaceful place if everyone did. Like, yeah. if everyone was given permission. Yeah. If every freaking office worker or whatever was given the permission to do five to ten minutes of legs up the wall, they would leave the workplace actually having left the workplace and not right. perpetuating or carrying over that, you know, whatever annoying yeah. conversation. Then maybe they'd arrive home and be more peaceful toward loved ones. Or maybe if they don't have loved ones, maybe they'd be a little bit kinder to the person that they're, you know, with. uh, And themselves. Yeah, right? And themselves. Right. Oh, so good. Yeah. I love those three, which then the real challenge is that I get three every time. Yay, cool. I can't wait to see what my next three are going to be. Um... And then just quick, real quick, tell, um, you've got, like, On the Horizon with Jeffrey. Um, 
yo, good things I'm doing. Really, yes. The most exciting thing that I've got going on recently is this 300-hour teacher training program um, that I'm co-leading with my mentor, uh, Rodney Yee. It's a big honor for me to get to teach alongside of him. The man's taught me so much. From the VHS tapes. From the freaking VHS tapes. Too. How amazing Training with him for two years, then doing, you know, kind of apprenticeship with him, assisting him and whatnot. Um, that's really cool. His wife, Colleen Sedmany, is a fabulous yoga teacher as well. Um, Kathy Kasha, who I've already mentioned, mm -hmm. she's on the faculty. Um, Pilar Tumalo, she's um, another one of our yoga friends and just really long time practitioner. And, um, and uh, um, just a, a rich um, communicator as well. So we're doing this training that's a year long training. It's a 300 hour course. Um, be really good for any of you out there who are listening and who uh, have already done your 200 hour training but would like to deepen your studies. We tried to make it accessible, meaning it's it just takes place every other month. Mm -hmm. So we'll meet for a five-day immersion every other month mm -hmm. up in Sun Valley and we'll um, do some really deep work and then have a, a month to assimilate it and then recongregate. So cool. Yeah, it's going to be super super cool yeah and all the details of what jeffrey's giving us are going to be on the show notes and on the rain studios website as well as um fred street yoga website yeah so um it's up there as well awesome so 300 hour training 300 hour training next thing would be the um uh this retreat i'm leading also in sun valley it's actually in the sawtooth mountains which is an hour north of uh, Sun Valley, Idaho, and I co-lead that with my friend Kathy, and it's part hiking, part yoga. So awesome. in the Sawtooth Mountains, it's just some of the most exquisite hiking you could do in the whole, on this whole continent. Um, so you get a huge nature dose. You get a two-hour morning um, yoga class that we do, which is nice. asana pranayama meditation and. Uh, it was really fun for me because I get to take Kathy's class and then we go hike and then she gets to take my class next morning. So it's, uh, awesome. it's yeah, it's a sweet experience and uh, we're psyched to, to run that retreat again. Um, so you can check that out on my website as well, the Sawtooth Mountain Retreat. The last one would be just yoga for older adults. I mean, I'm not sure what your demographics are like, but um, I'm sure that some of the people listening probably know Someone who's over the age of 60, mm -hmm. <laughs> if not your parent, some of you might know, who's been curious about yoga but doesn't necessarily feel like it's for them. And um, I would encourage you to try to uh, check this program out or offer it to them. It's really substantive. We designed it for to be like a month-long course that you could take of just practicing 10 to 15 minutes a day. Um, very simple accessible practices that use just you know a chair or a wall and um, I'll show people how to a lot of the distilled techniques that you and I have been working on for years that just make you feel really well so that's awesome. my main mission I want to help people I wonder if you I wonder if you could do like a like a a secondary branding of it where it's like yoga for the naysayer oh, or something because cool. like yeah you know totally 
Yeah. Mm. Yoga for people hate yoga. Yeah. Noga. <laughs> Noga. <laughs> oh my God. Wow, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of everyone. I'm yeah. thinking of everyone in my life who like is like, well, that's so great that you do yoga. Yeah. But like, I can't do that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, it's just not about putting your leg behind your head. Yeah, you totally. know, totally. Yeah. Um, well, cool. cool. Well, yeah. Like I said, um, Jeffrey and I, I would love to talk to Jeffrey for like ten hours. So we're just gonna have ten episodes. Perfect. Um, and big thank you. Thank you for um, carving out this time, thank and thanks for being such a baller teacher. Oh, um, and I we wanna it. we wanna see and and hear from you in the future. So um, thank you for having me. Thank you. all right well thank you so much for tuning in to that show amazing conversation with jeffrey moniger again such an honor just to sit down with you my friend (laughs) and um yeah check out my yoga to go um or and check out jeffrey on instagram Uh, his classes are amazing i i you know we live in oregon now so I take his online class, um, you know, like when I'm feeling just like when I can't find my own self-practice or when I wish I could go to a studio class, but, you know, just can't make it for whatever reason. And it's really great. It's super great. And if you want to keep clicking, you can, you know, you could build up like an hour and a half practice on there if you want. Um, or you can just do like a quick 20 minutes and it's, it's always really fun. And for some reason, you know, Jeffrey's able to convey that. Um, that energy, that essence, like he's there in the room with you. So highly recommend it um, because I do it myself. So um, yeah, and um, I am actually, you know, in the conversation I had said, like, I'm not going to do any videos, but um, I am myself. I'm dropping a couple videos on the website of uh, me teaching, leading some um, sort of hatha flow vinyasa like hybrid kind of classes as well as my my deepest passion which is uh, yoga nidra and I'm working on some um, some little mini courses that um, that are going to be uh, sprinkling over the rain studios website um, and you know and I'll be talking about them on the show here too so stay tuned um, I'm embracing the <clears throat> the online platform like I never have before. I've always had sort of adversities and uh, fear really around using computers and technology and so the world is is coaxing me in that direction and um, so one thing that I've realized <clears throat> is that there's some content um, you know in, in studio settings that we really can't speak to because it's too personal or um, you know uncomfortable and uh, my my real thoughts and feelings specifically it, it's around like gastrointestinal things so like digestion and pooping dare I say pooping <laughs> but um so here I get on the on an online platform I'm gonna get to talk freely about uh, you know digestion and and things like that, as well as uh, reproductive organs. So this is, um, you know, a very prominent place in the human body. We all have reproductive organs, and in the public setting, it's, you know, something that we sort of tiptoe around as yoga teachers, or, you know, appropriately um, will speak to the pelvic floor, or, you know, genitalia, or uh, the perineum, and things like that. But um, I'm really hoping to to talk about um, the reproductive 
um, home in the body in some of uh, these online offerings that I'm going to set up really soon. So just wanted to share that with y'all because I'm pretty excited about it, feeling inspired by Jeffrey as always. And, um, and, and yeah, really excited to share all these things with y'all. So um, thank you so much for tuning in. And again, stay safe, stay hydrated, six feet from your, from your fellow humans. And, um, 